The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. There are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi portfolio managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Well, good evening, my friends. Hi-Fi Radio show about money indeed. That's what it's about the next hour. We're going to talk about money and see if we can't help you out. Uh, open up, uh, well, yeah, turn on the radio and uh, enjoy yourself. If you're just driving around, uh, going someplace, well, be safe. And uh, if you're at home, uh, yeah, maybe grab a pen and paper and uh, we'll share with you some notes. And by the way, if you ever have any questions uh, about money and you don't know who to turn to, well, you do now. It's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Uh, visit me at uh, wolfgangkline.com. Uh, your one portal for financial success. Uh, you can reach out to us. We're happy to answer any of your questions, no question too big or small. Uh, it has been one incredible trading week indeed. Uh, wow, so exciting. And, uh, you know, it's not really about the excitement. You know, investing is not supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be, well, profitable. Uh, it's supposed to build wealth. But uh, every now and then, stories get in the way of reality. And, uh, well, it's, it's interesting to watch, and that's all I think we should do. You know, I'm talking about GameStop. And uh, uh, very, very pleased to be joined by one of our star analysts, Mr. Jed Dorsheimer. Uh, I reached out to Jed this morning to get some info on what was going on in the world of GameStop. Uh, not, a, not a stock he covers, but he certainly did help me out on the name. Uh, Jed is a sustainability analyst. Uh, claim to fame, I'm going to say Tesla. Uh, but he's got such a colorful background and such a vision going forward. Um, you know, Jed, there's a whole lot of things I like about you. But, uh, you know, what really gets to me, and I, I think Jack as well, is your, uh, you know, your, your boots on the ground, uh, salt of the earth type of guy who, you know, will we'll, we'll, we'll take on any task, including wiring a house to learning about a very complex system. So you cover Tesla, you wire up your own house. And uh, you're even watching a game stock, uh, GameStop story uh, with me. It was an incredible story, you, you know, really. Um, now, again, we're recording the show. Today is Thursday, uh, live trading day. And GameStop today uh, has moved, well, $500 at the pre-market. It was trading as high as 400 and change in the regular market. I'll watch it right now. It's $200. Um, and, you know, guys, let's, let's all have some fun here with the story. You know, the notion of, of, of uh, social media, you know, uh, creating these communities. And again, this just, I had visions of the president, no different than what, uh, in many ways, parallels between the president getting up on the podium and inciting riots uh, to, to storm the Congress. Uh, here, um, you know, traders went on, um, uh, what social media platform was it? Reddit. And this group was created. Uh, Reddit has a couple hundred, a couple million uh, followers. Uh, uh, groups were created. If not Reddit, they went to Discord, they went to Facebook, they went to Twitter. And they sort of banded together to talk about particular stocks and, and individuals as well they wanted to create some pain with. And along comes GameStop in 19, it's a 2019, it, it began to become the story and worked its way into 2021 here. But uh, really, phenomenal, guys. Hey, you know, Jed, speak to it a little bit. And thanks for the story, by the way, in the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, so a couple things. So, uh, you know, I think that, so one, I'm going to disagree with you on, on part of your intro. I actually think that money should be fun. And I would say that anything that we do, 
um, that we do well is about being in the flow where um, there's less resistivity. Uh, and, uh, and that should be fun. Uh, let me dude. jump in. Okay. Let me, let me jump in. I wish we're in the studio cause I, I don't want to sound rude and interruptive, but I, we're going to play a little ping pong here. I do agree with you. If you're a professional and you, you, you approach it as a game and you have fun with it, be it golf, be it nuclear, I don't care what your pro is. It should, it should be fun. But for the average investor, they got to be careful. They go to Vegas for fun. Uh, you know, go to go on DraftKings and, and do some online betting for fun. But when it comes to investing for your future, boy, oh boy, the, the fun is with the money uh, when you take the vacation and, and, and do good with it. And if you're fortunate enough to have it as a byproduct, but when it becomes fun, you change your perspective on as an investor and you can create, wreak, wreak some havoc, I think, with you. And uh, I'm seeing it right now. Retailers, retail investors are finding it to be too fun, too easy to make a lot of quick money. And that's when it gets frothy and dangerous, Jack. I would just add to that, Wolfgang, when you're talking about fun, I think what you're really talking about is emotions. And you're seeing right now a lot of euphoria in the market. And as a professional, you know, a money manager, you never want to get too high or too low. You want to look at, you know, what's reality and where can I make a profit? So I think that's the, yeah. the key point that comes out of and, this. And in fact, in fact Jed, I'm going to throw it right back at you, smart man. Because I'm going to say, in yeah. fact, I prefer, I prefer a market when people are having a terrible time, when there is no fun. But that's where the opportunities lie. So think about this. When everyone's having fun and giddy, ooh, ooh, why, I say warning bells going off. Anyways, we're, we're, we digress and we have some fun here. But uh, I no, do agree. We, we, have, we, we have a similar uh, – we have a – you know, I'm, listen, I'm very contrarian um, in terms of my approach with most things. Uh, but I do think that – so there's a great book called um, – titled, When You Meet the Buddha on the Road, Shoot Him. And it's not a literal, but the idea that we as humans attached to outcomes is where your suffering will actually come in. And that holds true, as you just mentioned, in terms of investing, that if you're tied to the outcome of performance, you will suffer more than if you are treating it simply as a game with less attachment. Again, I love what you're saying, my good friend, and we're going to have a lot of fun today uh, because it's all, and Jack is going to jump in right there with, it's all about process, not about individual outcomes, i.e. the casino mindset, right? The, the, the play the odds, play the odds. And what are the odds? The odds are don't bet against America. The trend is your friend. Markets do go up over extended periods of time own good stuff jed wait where you're contrarian in my opinion is you look forward and you say the world is going to change and of course everyone's gonna say baloney it ain't gonna change and that's where you are i think are contrarian uh and again i go back to your thesis on tesla a stock that just reported quarterly results you're restricted on the name because you're about to pub you've just published some work so we gotta be very compliant here but uh electric vehicles the the uh, i think gamestop got in front of that uh, story a little bit, but isn't that funny as well as how your buddy, uh, Mr. Musk, um, uh, tweeted nothing more than, I think, games tonk in the stock move. Like, who is this guy? Yeah, listen, I don't want to get into, into the fray of that, but I, again, I do want to pick up on something that you mentioned that I think is important in terms of the future. No, nothing in life that is alive is static. Everything is changing all the time. And where I differ from most of my peers is my focus is on uh, how to apply the laws of thermodynamics to these, um, uh, to these broader segments. Money that you mentioned 
I look at it, it's just energy. It's a means of uh, trading energy. And in fact, I would say a dollar is just a lien. We can actually count it's about seven megajoules per dollar is simply a lien on energy, including debt. And so we are just in this system that is tra- always you and I, in fact, you know, our cells are just in a in a transition of energy. And so I tend to look at the world through that lens of energy, whether we're talking EVs, whether we are talking um, uh, primary generation, whether it's a renewable solar system, it is all just a movement of energy. And when you look at it from that perspective, and I define it on the primary side of energy return on energy invested, on the efficiency side, energy saved on energy invested, then the rest becomes really clear. The noise just fades away. Wow. Uh, Jed, I love you for that. I, I, I truly do. Uh, Mr. Newton, the body of motion stays in motion until something interacts with it. You know, momentum investing uh, is about energy. Uh, I'm going to take it back to Bay Street and Wall Street. This has been really a momentum market. Uh, and you're seeing right now, again, I look at GameStop. Again, the show's recorded, friends. We're recording here Thursday live uh, uh, during the market hours here. GameStop, as I speak, is 153. Stock is down 56%. Um, wow. It's, it's unbelievable. It, a company that has lost $12 billion in the past uh, 12 quarters, um, a, a company that has costed the short sellers some $26 billion. And, you know, Bernie Sanders' lawyer says that the great equalizer between Main Street and Wall Street has been created through this chat group and, put, and through putting squeeze on these hedge funds and short sellers. Again, let's get, let's get philosophical for a second, gents. Um, yeah. you know, some people think short, short selling is so evil. Um, Jed, again, with your theory around energy and around efficiency, speak to the word, to speak to the concept of short selling. And you know, if you like, you can, you can explain to the audience briefly what short selling is. Jack and I go through it all the time, but people always forget it's a weird concept. Yeah, you're, you're just, you're making it, it, I mean, the concept of selling something short is you believe that the stock will go down. And so you're taking a lien, much like debt, on that stock with the obligation to repay that at a future um, uh, point in time. And therefore, if the stock goes down, then you're repaying it a lower amount and you're keeping the uh, uh, profit. You need, for a market to be, um, so, I mean, if you want to get philosophical, you're kind of going to the efficient market hypothesis and the debate around that. If we are in an efficient market hypothesis, or if we are in an efficient market, then there should be uh, perfect efficiency, which then you can't have alpha generation. And so the idea that it's somehow imperfect, you need buyers and sellers. And so, uh, you know, to, to deem somebody is, is right versus wrong or good versus bad, I think is just naive and, and frankly, a bit immature, actually. Wow, what a, what, a, what a great discussion about money. We're taking it to the third derivative, but why not? It's Saturday night, folks. Let's have some fun here, all right? Jed says it should be fun. Uh, when it's fun, you play a better game. Uh, take the emotion out of it. Process. It's all about process, not about individual outcome. It's not about right and wrong. And, you know, Jed, you're so right. Because when, when you get into that right-wrong mentality, it plays havoc with your ego, and that can cost your uh, wallet considerable sums of money. Sci-Fi Radio, my good friends, is a show about money. We think alternative 
thoughts on this show, try to stretch our own brains, ask some tough questions. Jack and I learn as we go. Uh, and that's what makes it so, the show so exciting, just like the market. It just never, ever get turned off. Oh, it's great. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, get right back to Jed Dorsheimer, one of our star analysts. Man works out of Boston, what a, well, just outside of Boston, great town, great guy, working for a great firm. It's Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. More of it right after this. Money. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. I'm in love with my car. Ooh, and it's Saturday night, my good friends. Hi Fi Radio, there's your fidelity. Now let's talk finance, high finance. Uh, Wolfgang Klein, WolfgangKlein.com. Jack Hartle. Jack, how you doing today, my good friend? Doing great, Wolf. It's uh, It's been an exciting week in the markets, like you're talking about. But uh, as we said, keeping the emotions out of it is, is very important. Um, let's uh, make the best of Jed's time. Jed Dorsheimer, a, a brilliant analyst that we have at Canaccord. Uh, just, just unbelievable to be able to spend some time with you this evening, Jed. Thank you very kindly. Um, hydrogen fuel cell here in Canada, we have a company called Ballard power, uh, in the United States, you got a company called plug power and I've been watching this stock. So Jed, uh, why don't you speak to hydrogen fuel cells and, uh, perhaps give us your, uh, your thoughts, uh, on plug, uh, and, uh, Ballard power, if you can. Yeah. So, you know, what we have, one of the more, I mean, if you kind of look back at uh, where I started my career, it was really based around this, this idea of a picture's worth a thousand words and the move from telephony to data centricity within a handset. The automobile is, is not much different. It's just 20 years later. So what we're looking at is in the context of moving to a decarbonized environment, what are the solutions uh, in terms of moving people and things around. And so you kind of have two. You've got the battery electric camp, which in also includes plug-in hybrid and, and hybrid approaches, so where you're using a battery to store energy for propulsion. Um, and then you have hydrogen fuel cells, which are simply a, a storage mechanism too. Hydrogen, being the lightest element, is a carrier of energy. So you can't get production of energy out of hydrogen. But you can, um, in the reforming process, break the atomic bond between hydrogen and oxygen to create um, some type of fuel, either in gaseous or liquid, uh, liquefied fashion, and then reuse that much like a battery in what's known as a fuel cell to get electricity back out of that hydrogen. There is a, a uh, energy cost, just like in a battery, in terms of that storage mechanism. So there's two really divergent approaches that are being uh, looked at heavily um, uh, in this decarbonized world um, for transportation. So, again, this, this Ballard Power story is, is, is north of 20 years old. Um, <laughs> 
it has legs. It's real. Uh, how disruptive is it? What what kind of share uh, or relevance will it have on a go-forward basis? Again, the world of EV is, is I believe, in its infancy. Uh, you help me believe that. But again, I'm seeing all the major automotive companies uh, now launch new product, Porsche included. Uh, how far are we going to take this and, and where will hydrogen fuel cell fit into the equation? So let me come back to plug. So plug, I saw this when it was I guess $4 per share, it's at what, $65 per share. So we've, you know, a lot of people have made fortunes in this particular stock. I think the return was 800% last year on this one stock alone. The value that what Plug saw was how to um, figure out and unpack a value proposition. For them, it was in material handling. So this is forklifts. So replacing a lead-acid battery with a hydrogen fuel cell. Now, the value was for an Amazon, who's one of their clients, or a Walmart, also a client, Home Depot and uh, Lowe's, too. The, the value is at a distribution center. You're able to get rid of your battery charging room, which accounts for roughly about 7 to 10% of your square footage in that DC. So what I like to say is what Plug figured out before others is how to use, it's not an efficiency argument, but they were competing against steel and concrete because you can move the hydrogen tank outside the facility and basically give that, um, give that space back for storing more products, which was very favorable in terms of developing that market, which they now have 95% based on our estimates of that, uh, of that share. The challenge between battery electric versus hydrogen in certain... So my point here is you have to figure out the market segment. It is not as easy to take a knee-jerk or broad-brush approach and say it's all going to be hydrogen or it's all going to be battery electric. Those people will be wrong. You have to understand the value proposition in each one of these segments in a highly complex transportation sector. I'll pause there. Well, you know, again, speaking of power and uh, friends at home, you'll see more and more of this brand I'm going to mention, and that's called Generac, Backup Home Generators. And uh, if you don't see them, next outage, listen a little bit, you'll hear one kick in somewhere around the neighborhood, and you'll say, good golly, I wish I had one of those. Um, so, that's, a, that's a stock, Jack, and I went long following our growth conference uh, in Boston uh, some two years ago. Um, you know, Jack's been paying very close attention to the weakening grid in North America and the, the outages in California. Uh, can you speak to Generac? And, and, you know, is there any momentum left in that story? Yeah, I mean, I continue to like Generac. I, we, it's, it's been one of our best ideas. I mean, it's pretty clear that you're going to see greater volatility. When you have a greater volatility in terms of weather patterns, as well as a move to higher efficiency on the grid, then you're going to, by nature, that reduces your resiliency. And therefore, it opens up a, a um, place in the market for uh, really improving that resiliency when you need it on call. That's where Generac plays. Now, I think opponents to that would say, well, you're kind of in the, you know, or you're powering that on natural gas or propane and it's got carbon. It, it works, though. And if you're looking at putting that into a system um, Generac is the leader in that market. So the more hurricanes you have, the more wildfires you have, which there seem to be more of every single year, um, and it's not just a seasonal event anymore, the more Generac benefits. And they're using that capital 
in their core business to redeploy into the renewable sector in terms of how to tie renewables more efficiently back to the uh, back to the grid and and sort of that uh, smart home and smart building uh, network. Jack, Jed raised a lot of great points. Going back to the the plug power uh, conversation that we had, uh, you mentioned about um, you know it's going to be electric uh, electric vehicle battery power and then also hydrogen. What are what are the limitations? And then how do you see these applications uh, playing out in the future? Well, let's take a semi-truck, for example. Um, so in the U.S., you have, you know, your your uh, freight market is typically defined as what your class. So my Ford F550 on the farm that I use for trucking around manure, right? That has a GBW of a bet. Yeah. Sorry, about, uh, sorry, sorry, Jez. Sorry. How much manure are you trucking on a 550 <laughs> F? Oh, my. I've heard of the 250. Yeah. I'm a city. I'm a city. No, a 550. We, we, we have a farm that feeds the manure from the horses uh, and the compost to get off topic a bit. We feed 400 families in terms of, uh, so our, our manure that, that goes through the system of the horses becomes the fertilizer for uh, a large um, CSA. You know, you, so, you are, you're, you're a sustainability analyst. As I said at the open, you, you, you walk the talk, you are boots, you got, you got your boots in poop. I yeah, love it. I do. And you know what? It's all science. So if you want to understand how to ask any chef how you get the freshest and the, and the best tasting meat, it's not about the, just the grass that the cow is eating. It's about the seed. It's about the pH levels that's in that soil. So you have to really understand the science, um, and, and it's a life cycle. I mean, which is really anything the same as what we're doing in terms of talking about hydrogen in understanding this, these energy transitions. Phenomenal. It, it truly is. Uh, sorry, Jack, you want to get back to plug? Yeah, just talk about plug and then looking at the hydrogen applications versus electric vehicle battery technology. What are the limitations and then where do you see the, the applications? And I think Jed was talking about, uh, before he uh, got into the manure conversation, talking about his poop. So, so, so moving away from that, like, in both cases, it's, it's, just, it, it's just a chemical process of moving energy, uh, whether it's battery or whether it's hydrogen. And so um, looking at the segmentation, you know, in a Class 8 semi-truck, the battery pack that's going to be needed to power to get a certain range is going to weigh about 16,000 pounds. And so if you're weight limited for 80,000 80, pounds uh, GVRW, then, then you don't want a quarter of your weight to be tied up in your energy source. Hydrogen, being the lightest um, uh, element in the periodic table, uh, is relatively light, and you can, um, you can use that as a fuel. Now, the knock on hydrogen is often the energy that's required to break the atomic bond and the round trip that you take. So it's usually, if I'm a battery EV guy, I'm going to hit hydrogen on, well, yeah, but you're, you're, you're not that efficient. That both are right, but you have to understand the, the, the market segmentation and so if you, and the, and the value proposition. So if you're in a market that is limiting the carbon emissions and saying you can't run something that's going to have a carbon coming out of the tailpipe, 
then your two options right now are going to be um, either battery electric or hydrogen. And in those markets for a car, um, the power to weight ratio is going to benefit uh, battery electric vehicles in the uh, uh, sort of the heavier end of the trucking segment where it's weight limited. We think hydrogen is going to have a play there. Uh, Jed, is it true uh, Tesla's burn more rubber, i.e. something to do with the way the car is designed, engineered, you end up going through more tires? I don't know that uh, uh, to be true. I would think okay. with the, with the uh, traction management systems that that would not be true. I think there is another point that you raise, which is, you know, embodied energy. So energy with an M in terms of looking at how much energy is going into the manufacturer of the products that, that then um, what you're saving. And so that's a good comparison looking at internal combustible. So while your efficiency is higher on a battery electric, you have to pay attention to the energy that's going in to produce that battery and what that payback actually is, which reduces the value proposition and why you um, you still need uh, you know to have um, uh, improved performance, and why you're seeing regionalizing of supply chains, et cetera. Well, the Tesla, the Tesla now I think has been on the road for getting close to ten years. They're seeing vehicles now with several hundred thousand kilometers, and they've been doing studies on the batteries and the life left in the battery. I understand Elon Musk is somewhat competing with the likes of even Generac by finding a second generation use for the batteries in terms of uh, remote backup battery storage through old Tesla batteries. Is that uh, true? Yes and no. So, you know, right now the process of getting your lithium is incredibly inefficient. And so as Elon has talked about, that lithium tends to travel around the world about five or six times. Last time I looked, most boats and planes are powered with diesel. And so you're, there's a lot of carbon being attached to the embodied energy that's going into the products. Also, a Tesla uses aluminum, which is, I think, five times more energy intensive than steel. And so not all that meets the eye. That's why you have to really look at sort of that life cycle analysis or, or uh, you know, what I call the energy return on uh, investment combined with energy saved on energy invested. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Again, it's Hi-Fi Radio. It's Saturday night. Uh, pleasure to have Jed Dorsheimer on the call with us, uh, one of the smartest men in America. Certainly when we're talking about sustainability, you talk about tech. Uh, we're going to get into LED products, talk about a company called Cree, a company that uh, Jed knows a whole lot about. Stock's done quite well, outperformed the S&P 500, got some momentum behind it. Uh, let's go to break, get right back to Hi-Fi Radio right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. It is Saturday night, my friends. 
Hi-Fi Radio, Global News Radio, 640 in Toronto. I am your host for the next, I guess, uh, half an hour or so. It's Wolfgang Klein, wolfgangklein.com. Show about money if you're just joining us. And it's a delight to have Jed Dorsheimer on the radio with us this Saturday evening. He's an analyst with Canaccord. Uh, he covers a whole lot of very fascinating uh, companies. Uh, we're talking about Plug Power. He covers Tesla. Uh, a company we're talking about right now is a LED uh, manufacturer company called Cree. Um, give us a story on Cree, uh, Jed, if you don't mind what the company does and why you like the name. Yeah, so it was an LED company, but it's really transitioned. So the, the whole... The company's, you know, origins is a spin-out from University of North Carolina was for the development of silicon carbide. Silicon carbide is a fascinating material. It doesn't come together in nature anywhere except for one place, which is where an asteroid in the Gulf of Mexico actually annihilated all of the dinosaurs. And so that intense heat shows you how difficult these two materials are are of coming together. And the benefit of that is there's a massive amount of energy and energetic benefit in terms of what you can do from a semiconductor. So the first big application was in LEDs that they commercialized in handsets, then later in automotive and in solid state lighting. The company decided to vertically integrate um, and they started to go down that slippery slope of, uh, um, of profitless prosperity. Um, the old CEO was pushed out of the business or resigned, depending upon whose take. And you got Greg Lowe, who came from uh, Texas Instrument and Freescale Semiconductor, where he successfully exited and sold that business off, and then said, why are you focusing on this low-margin product? Let's look at the high-value product, which is this wolf speed or this, um, uh, uh, these um, power semiconductors. Uh, that are going into now the Teslas of the world. So in the inverter, you can put a uh, silicon carbide MOSFET versus a silicon IGBT, with, and all that you know, technical speak just means their product is able to preserve more electrons and basically get the vehicle to go 4% further than using the competing silicon. And what we're seeing is a wave of um, so Tesla and Elon thinking first principle and looking at the system solution versus trying to look at it from a myopic perspective shifted the goalposts and is forcing the rest of the industry to migrate over to silicon carbide in the inverter, which I don't know. I think it's the single best uh, uh, value proposition within that vehicle in terms of getting extra uh, uh, preserving those electrons. Um, and that's driving uh, Cree right now. Um, Tesla. Uh, I, I mentioned it last week on my daily radio hit. And I had to check the numbers twice. In fact, I checked them three times and uh, it made Jack scratch his head as well. Um, Tesla has a market cap, of a valuation of north of $800 billion. And the last I checked, General Motors is worth about $80 billion. Jack mentioned to me at the onset that you published a note that Tesla soon will be the same valuation of the top 10 automotive manufacturers. You're talking GM, Chrysler, Ford, um, Volkswagen, Toyota. All those companies put together are worth that of Tesla. I don't understand. 
Well, listen, I'm not I'm not going to unpack and explain uh, the, the, you know, the rationale. Um, but what I will say is in our monthly, which is called the electron mobility. So it's a play on words here that that has a lot of useful data in the um, EV uh, in the mobility sector. We did point out that Tesla today, their market cap is greater than the top five. So Toyota, um, Volkswagen, General Motors, Daimler. Um, and uh, and absorbing additional ones, including Honda and possibly Ford. And so you are, uh, you know, um, those 10 represent, ex-Tesla represent about $950 billion. Um, Unbelievable. So yes, you are approaching that. It's, it's absolutely incredible. Uh, but, Jen, again, I know you're not justifying. Like, what are we? What do you think the market is missing, or what does the market know that we don't know that would give it such a valuation? Again, look, I, I'm going to pivot back to a stock that Jack and I bought last week, um, and that is Airbnb. Airbnb is a hundred billion dollar company. I think I overpaid for the company, but it, it's it's TAM. It's addressable market. On, on, you know, blue skies we like to say um, is it, running. You know, in and around two to three trillion dollars, according to Michael Graham. So we got runway here. But Tesla at eight hundred billion is already as big as the top ten. It, is it going to, can it double and go to 1.6 trillion, do you think? Is, it, is there something? So let me it, just, let me try and jump that, in oh. and address your question from a different angle. I think what you mentioned is, is the market and sort of this, what's implicit is that the market somehow, uh, you know, is validation um, for things. But that assumes a perfectly efficient market. And if you had a perfectly efficient market, yeah you wouldn't be in a job because there wouldn't be pockets of inefficiency, right? And it would also imply that you could never be in a bubble-type environment. Now, I don't know about you. I've been in this business 20 years with doing a couple other things, and I've experienced three Six Sigma events during that time. Um, and so none of that would be possible in a perfectly efficient market. So I think you need to take out that the market is always right. Right. And just kind of look at are there their deltas. Now, I think what the what the market is saying with respect to Tesla is that it would be a winner take all type environment. Yeah. And you have a Google type, you know, so if you're yeah. larger than the top 10, then you're basically saying, hey, it's going to be a Google where they're going to own that. And there yeah. are markets where a monopoly can exist um, or even an oligopoly. But the auto sector is not one that has any historic precedence for that occurring. No, it, it, again, phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal stuff. Uh, Jed, an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. You, you've been absolutely uh, eye-opening and uh, thought-provoking as always. Uh, you stay safe, my friend, um, and uh, continue to look forward to uh, reading more of your published work. It's great stuff. You too. Thank you. Yeah, you have yourself a great uh, Saturday night, my good friend. Uh, we're going to do a little financial plan tune-up. Uh, RSP season is, uh, well, it's upon us, and it's a new year, and it's January, and it's cold outside, so let's talk money. That's what we do on Hi-Fi Radio. Uh, more show coming up right after this. Money. Listen, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, money. more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. 
The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. All right, my good friends, let's leave the disco and uh, get down to business. Indeed, as a show about money, it's all about, you know, high probable occurrences and having a process for building wealth uh, to, to the tune of almost a sure thing. I don't like to use the word I guarantee you, um, although I do guarantee you that if you follow my advice for the next 30 years, uh, you're going to make money. And if not, come and sue me. I'll probably be dead. Um, but uh, the, the history tells me a 30-year stretch, uh, you have a 99.99% success rate. You know, I, 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 20 years of experience now on Bay Street. I, I'm, I'm delighted to see you know, long-standing clients who began with us with a couple hundred thousand dollars. Fast forward 18, 19 years of a solid relationship where they contributed. They stayed the course. Jack and I made some great decisions. We made mistakes as well along the way. But we, we right-sized those mistakes, and, and, and voila, accounts are over $2 million bucks. Uh, I assure you, friends, if you, if you do what we tell you to do, and if you do everything we tell you to do, you're going to be very, very wealthy. But you got to start, and you got to stick with the process, and don't get in the way of yourself. And stuff like GameStop or the, the, these names that are just you know, catapulting, uh, avoid it. Quality, quality, quality at all times. Diversity and a steady, steady hand. So we're going to play a little game here. I got Mike Bellamy on. Uh, the uh, line with us, Mike Bellamy, is our resident uh, in-house uh, financial planner. Uh, he's just a great guy, a lot of fun to work with. And uh, Well, I've watched Mike start as a young lad. And uh, How long has it been now since you've been uh, working with us, Mike? You're five, six years under your belt, seven years under your belt now? Yeah, it's been, uh, yeah, probably close to that. I mean, I've been candy court about, it's going to be a decade on St. Patrick's Day. As I started my first day in 2011 on St. Patrick's Day, I only remember wow. because we went uh, after work. I think we had a couple of Guinness with the people I started with. That's the only reason I remember. But yeah, that's. Uh, I wonder if McDonald's still has the uh, Shamrock Shake. They still do the Shamrock Shake, most disgusting thing I've ever heard of. Yeah. Uh, I digress. So, 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 Jack, Mike, let's start with Mike. Now, Mike, being a planner, um, Mike, I want to ask you. I want to take this personally, just for fun. What is the biggest mistake you have ever made in terms of money, money management, uh, and how were you able to fix that mistake? Yeah, so I think it's just we were joking here just before we got on. There's probably a few of them here, but um, probably the biggest mistake I made was in my probably early on in my early 20s. I, I, I did a good job kind of saving some money throughout high school. I had a you know part-time job at the grocery store, you know, put away some money, put some money into an RSP. Um, I'd kind of let it grow a little bit, but, you know, get into university, fast forward and, you know, running low on, on funds. I, I actually took money out of the RSP. Um, so I, I took the money out that I had saved and then used it for, fun, I guess we'll say. Um, so I'd say that's probably one of the biggest mistakes I made just with, you know, simple compounding. Obviously you, you left that, if I'd left that money in there. Okay. That, that's a boring mistake, Mike. That, 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 you're boring me with that one. Come on. You you can do better than that. Uh, yeah. I'll tell you my, my, my biggest mistake. And, and, and that was, I got caught up in a mania back in 1990. It was a real estate mania in Toronto where prices were going up and so were interest rates. 
and affordability in 1990 was, was, was becoming less and less uh, available based on cash flow. It's, it's incredible because house prices since then have catapulted and affordability with lower interest rates is, is greater. Uh, so nonetheless, um, I rushed into the market too young with too little capital and, and, and bought a very poor home in a very poor neighborhood. And so I broke the cardinal rule of location, location, location. Uh, and, and I watched that asset fall in value from 1990, I think it was 91 I bought it, to 96. It fell in value. Uh, but as did other parts of the market, just might fell a little more. So I finally cut the loss and I moved up quality and bought into an amazing neighborhood. Uh, so uh, yeah, I moved upscale, cut the loss and improved location and, and on still a weak tape. So I was able to fix the mistake uh, and move forward. Uh, what, what about you, Jack? Give us, give us the biggest mistake you've ever made and uh, were you able to right size and, and uh, how, how did you do that? Sure. Uh, I, I will say that the market does teach us lessons every day, Wolf. Uh, you look at 2020 with the virus, you look at 2021 uh, with the rebound and some euphoria in certain pockets for sure. Uh, the market is always uh, evolving, but it uh, and it does change. You have to adapt with it. But uh, the biggest um, thing that got me on the right track, I'll start with that, is saving, starting early and saving early. Right out of school, had no debt and started putting money into an RSP. And I actually put money into the RSP before it even made sense because I didn't have enough income uh, to justify putting into an RSP, but I did it anyways, and it wasn't such a bad mistake after all. But I would say the the big mistake I made early in my career was just buying low quality stocks, um, trying to chase stories, uh, and not really understanding um, you know the, the power of compounding and and the, and time in a financial plan. So the way I corrected that was honestly continued to save and just moved up the quality scale and in terms of buying stocks. Yeah, I was waiting for that one. Again, it, it's okay to speculate when you're really young and don't have a whole lot of money. Buying those low quality stocks, you know, I didn't make any money with them, but I didn't really lose a lot because they didn't have a whole lot to lose. But I, I do get these, you know, these thematic stories that come at us. And I probably had three or four clients this week ask me about GameStop. I just said, you know what, it's not what we do. If you want to do it on your own, that's, you know, just make sure that you invest with money that you can afford to lose because it's not a process that Wolfgang and I are going to buy into for you. Well, what's going on is traders, little traders are, are saying, look, let's all buy a little bit of the stock right now. And so if you get this mass rush of orders in to buy at the market immediately, that, that, that causes the stock to gap up and, and disproportionately move because this name does not have a lot of paper. It's got a small market float. They could not do that with the likes of an Amazon or a Google. They could not force that stock in any direction because the stock is too big. It's these little names that become quite vulnerable that can be, quote unquote, manipulated in the short term. But Warren Buffett put it best, and he said, in the short term, it's a voting machine. In the long term, it's a weighing machine. Businesses that make money succeed. Businesses that lose money uh, uh, consistently will work their way off the board. Uh, gentlemen, I want to thank you for your time. Mike Bellamy, I do look forward to seeing you back in the office. Uh, likewise with you, Jack. But between now and then, you stay safe. Keep your money safe, quality, diversity, stay on course, never, ever give up, my good friends. Uh, and you know something? Work with a pro. Work with a team that works best for you. If you don't know who to call, you can always call Jack or I. It's WolfgangKlein.com. My friends, have a great weekend. We'll speak with you next Saturday right here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. 
listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.